Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 83, and we are going to be talking about the 1996 Cameron Crowe film, Jerry Maguire, starring Tom Cruise, Cuba Gooding Jr., Renee Zellweger, Kelly Preston, Jerry O'Connell, Jay Moore, Bonnie Hunt, Regina King, Jonathan Lipnicki, and a small little snippet of Ali Wentworth, and a very small of Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz, man. This film was also written by... Cameron Crowe and filmed in and around the LA area as well as New York City. Is this after Almost Famous? Yes. The synopsis for this film, courtesy of IMDb, when a sports agent has a moral epiphany and is fired for expressing it, he decides to put his new philosophy to the test as an independent agent with the only athlete who stays with him and his former colleague. Thus, Renee Zellweger. The taglines for this film, all right, you give me your input. Which one you like? This is a new game. Everybody loved him. Everybody disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of his life begins now. And the last one, the journey is everything. Last two are so generic, they're useless. Yeah, it could go with any film. Any film. So (laughs) uh, the first one is kind of punchy. It doesn't really tell us what the film's about, but I like it. It's almost like... The opposite of everybody loves Raymond. (laughs) Everybody loved him. Everybody disappeared. All right. I don't have any trees. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your pickup line? So this is the world and there's almost 6 billion people on it. That's it. And so the film starts out with his mission statement, I believe, correct? Or does that come later? I think that comes later. I think it starts out with he's giving us a monologue talking about kind of the psychological situation he was in that led to him writing the mission statement. Right. So... I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit and then we'll step back. The aforementioned mission statement was Cameron Crowe said that Jeffrey Katzenberg wrote something very, very similar. It was an email that got leaked and it was kind of like of the flavor of Jerry's mission statement. I was going to say, what was his name? (laughs) That would have been embarrassing if I said it out loud. (laughs) Well, you are being recorded. Right. And so that inspired him and he figured what is the what is another immoral industry other than Hollywood? And he thought, oh, sports, I'll set it in sports. So I presume that Katzenberg at the time of said email was fairly high up the chain. And that is just the classic narcissistic move to pound out in the middle of the night some feverish screed that you send to everyone and they have to pretend they like because of who you are. Haven't people talked about like kind of like an escrow account for emails like this? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. You can save it to your drafts folder. So one of the key uh, techniques, right, is not to type anybody in the two CC or BCC lines yeah. until you've had your buddy review it. Right. But I guess all of this requires a little bit of, of your own policing, which is... Again, when you're at the top of the tree at a Hollywood studio, you probably don't have anybody that tells you, uh, Jeffrey, this is a dumb idea. <laughs> Okay, so first I want to talk about the acting. This was kind of Renee Zellweger's big, like, debut. She was in Dazed and Confused and Reality Bites and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. But I don't think it was as notable as this film. So this one kind of kicked her off. And she later said that the day she was cast for this movie, it had been so long since she had worked that she went to the ATM and she didn't have enough of a balance to make a withdrawal. So this was a good day for her. (laughs) This was the turnaround. Yes, yes. And 
then Bonnie Hunt, who we adore. Love Bonnie Hunt. Happy to have her on the show. And she plays Renee's sister, Laurel, which, little side note for anybody who cares, if we had had a girl... I was strongly considering that name because it was my favorite nurse when we had our oldest. I oh, love that name. Still love Laurel. I will say I kind of considered Bonnie Hunt a scene stealer in this one. Well, it's interesting. She said her character is the audience's point of view. So I thought that was interesting because she did not like Jerry in the beginning. She was very skeptical of him, thought he was not right for her little sister. And then she kind of comes around. So is that what Cameron wanted us to do with Jerry? Maybe, but I don't think Bonnie has clocked all of the audience because at least one audience member never comes around on Jerry Maguire. I don't like Jerry at the end of the film. I do need to shame Cameron Crowe right here. (laughs) And it was, I guess, the 90s. So I don't know, should we give him a pass? But I did find in the trivia that he did first offer, before finding Renee Zellweger, he offered the part of Dorothy to Janine Garofalo if she could lose weight. And after she trimmed down, she learned that Renee got the part. Boo hiss. Yeah, this. there are some other parts in the couldn't be made today and uh, some writing issues we could talk about. Okay, we'll talk about that as they come up. Yeah. But I just, I'm sure that this is not an anomaly in Hollywood. I hope it is more rare today, but I'm sure, you know, pre-1996 and even since, stuff like that has happened. And it just makes me sad. It's an odd cast, though, of Janine Garofalo, regardless of... Totally what weight class she's in, you wouldn't think her as a rom-com lead. Nothing against her, but her body of work, she's more known for her caustic wit. And I don't really see the character of Dorothy being smarter than Jerry and kind of taking the piss out of him as he goes through his day. Agreed. So it's an odd cast. Yep. If that had come to So I don't know if this happened chronologically, but I made a note about, I love it when adults throw a toddler tantrum. I just think it's so funny. It is kind of funny. And we both remarked that the show me the money scene happened way earlier than we remembered. I think part of that is because this movie is way too damn long. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to jump ahead. It was, Oh, yeah. Two hours, 20 minutes. Two hours, 20. This movie should be at least an hour short. Yeah, it could it could deserve some trimming. And so Tom Cruise throws an adult oh, yeah. tantrum in the bathroom and it just you just look ridiculous. And I'm not above this. I'm sure I've thrown a tantrum as an adult. And you just, you look so, so silly. <laughs> it's hard to take anybody seriously when they, they're literally gyrating their body out of frustration. I'll be honest. I don't think we take toddlers seriously when they do it either. <laughs> but it's more age appropriate. So we give them a pass. Yeah. Well, it's less funny because it's less absurd, right? When you're four, that's what they expect. But I will say he has a history after this film of jumping on couches and throwing public <laughs> tantrums. tantrums. So maybe not too far off. He's method. Well, we probably will do a, a little, we'll make up for Top Gun, the first one. Or no, Days of Thunder. We just recently spoke highly of that film. I did make a note that the over-the-top sex scene between him and Kelly Preston, (laughs) it felt like we were kind of overcompensating for something, but I don't Uh, know what that would be. Don't know what that would be. You know, what's interesting is there's a scene there which I consider to be both unrealistic and necessary where 
Tom Cruise and Kelly Preston have naked dinner after they've had sex. They just pull up to this bar table that he's got in his apartment. Yeah, it's like a high table. Have a meal. and It's not a meal. It's like strawberries. It's the most cliched thing to eat after sex or before or during. Uh, yeah, I think it was after. It, just, it was it, after, but I'm saying. Just bumped me entirely because. Everybody would throw on a t-shirt or. Well, okay, no, I'm not you know valentino here but in my experience ladies rarely parade around the apartment butt naked dudes i could totally see doing it there's probably a thousand guys who are gonna write in and say oh i play video games naked all the time but <laughs> i just I, I i don't see a woman like okay well i'm no you know why and whatever because we're usually cold yes exactly <laughs> so she would throw on a robe Right. She, yeah, she's probably or or fourteen t shirts and a hoodie and and some comfy slippers or something. Yeah, it just and who wants to sit on those chairs after we know what they just did? And they're going to have to deal with that later. It's their chairs. <laughs> okay, we're going down a road that we should not. Well, I actually let's don't. get back to our our filmic. It's, it's really noteworthy. <laughs> I mean, come on, if you're gonna put. A love scene in something. I think, to be fair to the actors, it needs to advance it the story. It was gratuitous. You're right. It was putting two pretty people, making them sit naked. Because just think, there had to be crew around. Right. There was nothing covering Kelly. Or Tom. But I think we care less about it. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it was, wow. It was gratuitous. So this actually gets to one of the items that I have in the couldn't be made, kind of in an indirect way. But yeah. speaking of... of sexual things. Yeah. There's a line where Bob Sugar, played by Jay Moore, who does a fantastic job being an asshole. <laughs> Again, maybe method. <laughs> he says, I will rape and pillage for you, talking to one of his his clients. Right. And I just felt like that was also a little a little aggressive. Now I'm not saying that an agent wouldn't say that. That could be realistic dialogue, but Again, that was 26 years ago. People probably didn't notice it, but it just struck me as it was a little aggressive, a little... Well, I think in light of some of the allegations posed against quite a few members of the sports community, (laughs) I mean... And Hollywood. Not to defend kind of (laughs) that kind of speech, but it could have been a figurative, not a literal comment. I I think so, but I also think that that would... But I think to not be tone deaf, if it were me today they wouldn't have it you're right right and i'm just thinking from a filmmaking perspective and the reason i say that is because there are other parts of this film that i think are questionable that are very disconcerting about how the women are treated in this film sexually Mm -hmm. and so having that additional scene at the front which i still think is kind of unnecessary in a film that's long it just felt gratuitous it was like oh how can i make kelly Preston take her clothes off for me on set is weird well it's interesting as you say that i'm going to totally jump way ahead (laughs) i mean we'll go through my notes and everything but the scene near the like in the back two-thirds or the back one-third with the divorce group that feels very cliched oh yeah that there's these bitter women that just sit around and talk about how angry they are and you know the the revenge they're going to seek on their (laughs) ex-husbands i mean it just it feels so one-sided now i'm not saying that divorced people don't have those feelings at some point i'm sure you do feel you are angry because nobody gets married with the intent that that's how it's going to end. I would hope not. And so, of course, they're going to have... But it just... It was this portrayal of these, like, sad divorce women just sitting in a living room, eating snacks, drinking wine, complaining. It, it all, felt very one note. All it was missing was a bubbling cauldron. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. A bunch of voodoo dolls. Okay, so let me go back. Let's get us on track. The cinematography. Holy hair light. Yes. So everyone had an angel halo behind them. So I particularly noticed it when uh, Renee Zellweger was at baggage claim. It was really pronounced, but I will forgive that because when Dorothy is telling Laurel that Jerry's coming over, they light Bonnie Hunt in the most gorgeous lighting possible. So full disclosure, I'm a big fan of Bonnie Hunt. I think she's very photogenic, but man, did the cinematographer do her a favor in that shot. They really did. Reminded me a little bit of Glenn Close and the Natural. They really worked hard on those hair lights and the angelic lighting, which Mm -hmm. I thought was good. I noticed that they had a rain scene. And mm-hmm. kind of bumps me because Southern California, it rains like half a day every decade. Um, was it, or was it Chicago? The scene where I was noticing it was in oh, okay. SoCal. And then later. Wait, but it wasn't raining at the time. Just the streets were wet, right? Or no, was it later raining? the streets were wet. Which and presumably that. once you buy that it rains in Southern California all the time, <laughs> you don't notice that. But I did notice that because I know personally that they would have had to have wet them. They'd have to call out the water truck and wet the entire street and keep it wet for shot after shot. So somebody made that choice. I did notice that. And I noticed that they continued it on to the sidewalks and maybe the cars. Like I was like, oh, wow. They, yeah, they really, it really went the full Monty on right. that one. And from it, this is more editing the cinematography, but I really did like the visuals where when they're on the plane, they keep cutting from Jerry in first class to yes, Dorothy right. uh-huh. in steerage and back and forth and i thought that was really well done. yes i did like that editing in fact i wonder if i made that note no i did not i have a note here that reminded me that the vo that opens the film i made a comment i think we even paused it so there's a, a pause count for that that it was almost like he was looking back and it was right. like his conscious and he conscience and he was reflecting on maybe where he went wrong or or where he could have done better and so it's interesting that it's started out with that kind of tense because did we see that book ended usually when a film does that then they end the film with the central character kind of with some vo kind of reflect finishing the reflection right he didn't they do but in this case he didn't finish the vo and if i recall correctly he basically finishes with the you had me at hello speech but don't we get like a one year later and they're getting married yes that is true i I don't remember a lot of dialogue from that that was seemed more montagey to me but I'll be honest to our listeners, I watched this film twice in the last few months. I just happened to catch it on cable and wanted to watch it. And then we rewatched it again. And each time I watch it, I like it less. So it's possible I wasn't paying super close attention in this latest viewing because it's interesting how I, did, I didn't like Tom Cruise a whole lot a couple months ago. I still have problems with his you know statements in various ways. But this character, I just don't at all respond to, right? And maybe that's good writing for, or and, and filmmaking. Because as I watched it the most recent time, he's a lot more like Bob Sugar than I think a lot of people remember this film. They remember the, you had me at hello, oh, it's a sweet thing. No, he's he's kind of an asshole. But it's interesting because that's her line. Yes. That's not his line. Like he never did, you know. And but what? why what? would she say that? Why would she be happy that this asshat has come back? Has come back. Right. That's that's what I'm struggling with as a person. Well, I think 
I think Dorothy's supposed to be a hopeless romantic, which isn't always a great thing. That's true. And I think her instincts were right when she (laughs) said, you don't look at me like I look at you, kind of. Right. And I deserve someone to basically be in love with me like you are. And so he was trying to come back and say, oh, I just realized I am that because he had a moment and he saw, oh shoot, what's his name? Tidwell. Yeah, I just call him Tidwell Rod, I think is his his given name. When he saw his first reaction wanting to call Regina King's character, he was he basically realized like, oh, I want that person. I want to have a person that when something good happens, I want to call. And that's what made him go back. So is that truly that he loves her or he just doesn't want to be alone? And maybe you could argue that Dorothy's character also just doesn't want to be alone. But I'm going to support Bonnie Hunt's brilliant deduction here that her character Laurel is the audience because Laurel all along was like, no, this guy's an asshole agent. You want nothing to do with him. So I do kind of support that. And again, I kind of think Bonnie's performance is a scene stealer, but I think the Laurel character in some sense is the best character in the film. But I loved how she, you could see that she kind of gave in in the sense of, well, this is what my sister wants. Right. But the thing I noticed this time watching it is Dorothy didn't fall in love with Tom Cruise, or I shouldn't say Tom Cruise, Jerry Jerry Maguire. As Jerry Maguire, he bent down and he did something. He talked to, I can't remember Jonathan Lipnicki's name. We we just all call him Jonathan Lipnicki. I think it's Ray. It is. It was a name that was remarkably not little child. Little kid. Yeah. When he bends down and he says something to Ray or he does something like sweet to him and she you see it on her face. She melts. She looks at her sister. They go in the other room and she's like, did you see him? He actually looked at Jerry like a dad. Like she wasn't in love with Jerry for Jerry. She was in love for Jerry that now Ray was going to have a father. Right. So maybe in that sense, this is really Maida and she's actually using Jerry more than he's using her. Whoa, that's weird. (laughs) Got to think about that one, guys. Deep. Deep. Yeah. Again, listeners, please feel free to write or call and tell us what you think about that new theory about this movie. Yeah. I'd be curious what other people would think, especially a second viewing. Like we all saw it back in the 90s, but you know, what was your, what was your take on it here? Let me just run through a couple notes. I have the two lines from the movie, show me the money and you had me at hello are on AFI's top 100 movie quotes at numbers 25 and 52. Isn't that interesting how it's the inverse of those numbers? I have a third that I didn't remember until this last one, which I really like this line (laughs) when she comes out for a date with Jerry. Yeah. Laurel says, that's not a dress. That's an Audrey Hepburn movie. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's a good line. Cameron gave her a lot of great lines. I wrote down, he's not a boy, he's a syndrome. Oh, yes. (laughs) That's a good one. Well, also the great acting ability of Bonnie to deliver those lines. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's fabulous casting. So you mentioned a plot hole when we were watching this. I don't know if you were going to bring it up, so I'm going to bring it up right here. Is he gets fired. Bob Sugar takes him out and they fire him. And he proceeds to go back to the office and continue to... To try to woo the clients away from mm-hmm. yeah massive plot hole and you're right that would never happen no so the way this would happen is maybe bob sugar would take him out to lunch to break the news but while he was at lunch they would disable all of his accounts and he would not be allowed back in the building right they would have a security guard who would give him his cardboard box and supervise him in the 
10 minutes he's given to gather his personal effects. He would not be allowed to touch telephones or anything else. Mm -hmm. And they would escort him out of the building and that would be the end of that. And we tried to figure out like, why would they do that? And the only thing I really could come up with is there is a scene or more than once they go back to the telephone because he tells his assistant to call all of his accounts. And so at first his, you know, 15 phone line phone has a bunch of flashing lights with them all on hold. And one by one as Bob Sugar, because he's trying to convince Rod Tidwell to go with him. And that's the show me the money scene. And so because Rod takes so long in that time, Bob Sugar is able to call all of the other athletes and get them to stay with the agency instead of going with Tom or Jerry. Sorry. It's interesting because at one point they mention a 4% commission and I thought agents got 10%. So that seems I a little I know low. movie agents, definitely 10 is like a, the average. There's also another kind of, I mean, I don't know if I call it a plot hole, but really kind of bumped me in the writing is Rod gets knocked unconscious when he catches the touchdown pass in the end zone. Spoiler alert. And they leave him there and they're broadcasting it and everybody's just standing around. No, they would bring out the backboard immediately. Yeah. They'd slide him on it, duck tape him down, put him on the golf cart, it would be gone. Yeah. And I know that it was for this dramatic tension and showing his wife with the watch party at her house. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? That's no, that's not even then. And in fact, what makes that more egregious to me is there's a line in there, which I thought for 96 was amazingly prescient. This is his fourth concussion. Shouldn't someone get him to stop is said early in the film. So we established that we're aware of traumatic brain injury. Right. They wouldn't just leave him on the field and have some like assistant coach poking and prodding at him. They, they would have a whole team out there. They're, even back in 96, the NFL had protocols for this. Right. Yep, yep, yep. Right after he gets fired and Dorothy leaves with him there in the elevator, and I completely forgot this. <laughs> There's a couple that at least one of them is deaf or hard of hearing, and the gentleman signs, using American Sign Language, I assume, to the female, you complete me. And they get off and Dorothy explains that she has a grandmother or an aunt that uses sign language and she translates what he said that you right. complete. Right. Which I was thinking, since I completely forgot that, obviously Cameron put that in so that it would mean more at the end. But right. Do we need that scene in order for the end? No. And for many reasons, but one of them is because you forgot it was in there and the movie still made sense to you. So yes, having the line in there, you completely, me is foreshadowing when he uses it at the end, but I think it's irrelevant. Did you remember the scene with the couple? No, um, I, I remembered it this viewing because I'd watched it a right, few months ago. Right. But when I watched it a few months ago, no, it, it did. I, I do agree. It's entirely extraneous. However, so there, there was a few minutes. There's yeah, some minutes. <laughs> However, as a fellow elevator director. Yes. I did notice that that he did put a scene in the elevator, but it, I, I don't think it was needed. <laughs> the Speaking of lines, the line, Jerry, did you know that a human head weighs eight pounds? Apparently, Cameron kept hearing Jonathan sharing that fact with different crew members, and he thought it was so funny that he threw it in. Uh, you told me this. Cameron Crowe actually did write out a 27-page mission statement that Jerry wrote. Now, is that just a writer who likes to write, or is that somebody who wants to be able to say, I even wrote the whole mission statement that nobody ever sees? Like, is that just him trying to get in Jerry's head? What's going on there? Why Why do that? I think someone was really, really high. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but uh, it could be one or the other. So here, here's the thing, though. I could see myself as a writer if that was the key thing in the in the film, actually pounding out a draft of that, just to kind of see what just, it is. I could see it as you want to try to get to know Jerry. What would Jerry say? What would Jerry do? And if you right. could write that, then you could write... I don't know about 27 pages, yeah. though. That's a lot. But That's a lot. Yeah. But I definitely could see writing snippets of it, so you could have quotes. Even if you don't quote it in the film, I think it would help to inform the character. Yeah. But 27 pages, I stick to somebody who's really, really high some night and yeah. just pounded it That up. sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about other things that couldn't be made, but I just saw this note right after Jerry and Dorothy have sex. Then the next day he is pitching to Rod and his wife, or maybe they're yeah. getting the call from the Cardinals. Yes, that is correct. They're getting a, an offer from... So it's a big deal. And so Dorothy goes down and they're all like, they have kind of like the nerves and he hands her a plate of muffins and says, hey, will you please put these out? And she very much has this look of, oh, I'm... I'm just the secretary. Yeah. And so that's when I think her little voice in her head started to seep in that maybe he doesn't like me for me. Which, by the way, tip of the cap to Zellweger on that one, because she didn't have any dialogue. She just did that entirely yep. with her expression, and it was really well done. I thought so, too. I'm going to interject a little bit here, though, because Go speaking of it. that scene, why is it that you have Glenn Fry in the film and the football team he's not representing isn't the Eagles? <laughs> I mean, it's right there. <laughs> Come on. Oh, my God. I love that. Maybe they thought people would get confused. <laughs> I guess. I love that. I didn't uh, even think of that. That's great. Okay. Do you have anything for writing cinematography? I was going to move on to our other categories if you um, don't. So, right. This is not necessarily writing, but it's somewhat adjacent because this may have been in the script. Right. But why is there a large fish tank on the floor of the agency, which is like a boiler room? That makes zero sense. What do you mean? To on me. the, it was on the floor. It wasn't. It was. There's a trading floor where all the like junior agents are sitting cheek to jowl. It's like a boiler room at a stock brokerage. Oh, I didn't think it was like a boiler room. I but, thought it was just like a hot, like you know, like a fancy, like a law office. And sometimes they would have like fish tanks in the entryway as like. I don't know. Right, right. I could see that in the entryway or on the second floor with all the offices. But it was down with the grunts where they're all on the phone shouting all day. It just, it bumped me. Oh, I just assumed everybody was on the same floor. There's a scene where when uh, Jerry's having his toddler tantrum, yeah. he looks up and he sees a guy that looked a lot like the actor from Ferris Bueller who plays his friend Cameron. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't on the second floor. And that presumably was where all the mucky mucks were. Oh. So it just, it, it kind of bumped me. I mean, it, it set up the scene where he steals the goldfish. Well, but... and you're right. Those type of fish tanks don't have goldfish in them. Right. They have like, you know, those are always like saltwater tanks that right. somebody else has to maintain. And I did have a thing in costume, but we'll get to it when we get to my other segment on icky things. Okay, so do you want to do icky things first? Because I was heading into costumes. Okay, let's do costume. Okay. I just said that Jonathan Lipnicki with his glasses, his round glasses and his spiky hair, it was just, that was, I thought, I don't know if he was sporting that look (laughs) at that point, but it just, it totally like made this cute little kid. And I do feel sorry for the actor though, because he's so 
heavily associated with that role, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, I believe he's still acting, but he probably really struggles to get out of it. But I think he definitely, like, his hair is not spiky anymore. You know, he probably shaved his head and got a bunch of face tattoos. (laughs) That was actually the joke I was going to make. Points. Okay, sets. So there's a scene where Tom Cruise, who we know is only maybe 5'8", on a good day five with some lifts, 5'9". Yeah, with the Danny Bonaducci lifts. (laughs) Yeah, and it's said that the crew lowered the lamp so he would keep hitting his head. (laughs) I love that. So they couldn't put Bonnie anywhere near that lamp because she would have like towered over it and you would go, who would make a lamp that low in your own house? But the first time I saw that scene, my first thought was, why is the lamp that low in your own house? House. Right. But speaking the, uh, of sets there, and this maybe is a, a plot issue, there is a poster in Jerry's office that has Avery Bishop, which is a character played by Kelly Preston on the poster. Uh-huh. But she's supposed to be another agent. Why would there be a poster of an agent? I couldn't tell if she was an agent or she worked for, I thought she worked for one of the, like the media outlets. Like if not on camera, okay, a, a so producer. Is it? Because I, I think was, she was an on camera person. Like a, Andrews. What's her name? Erin Andrews? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess. Which maybe that explains why she was always walking around naked. <laughs> yeah. Points. <laughs> I was going to say, I got to go Google eBay to see if there's a Hannah Storm uh, poster I could get. But right. That did. I thought that was interesting. Speaking mm-hmm. of sets, they had a very cluttered office. I have no idea whether that's accurate for an agent to have all that sports memorabilia just piled around the office, but it was a very cluttered look. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this was wishful thinking, but in Bonnie and Dorothy's house in the back was like a little decorative sign and it said can on it. And I was like, oh, Cameron, was that a little wishful thinking or you just <laughs> thought you could like... <laughs> Sneak that in. Sneak that in there and kind of maybe subliminally the um, right. the judges would, would vote for your movie. <laughs> okay, let's get to it. Let's get to it. So you watched this film on your own a couple months ago. I did. And we picked this as a sports movie, which I have an aside, but I won't do it now. We picked this as a sports movie. And when you heard, you were like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. It kind of has some icky parts to it. Right. So I'm going to start with one which is not related to our ladies, which is Jerry drives drunk. Mm-hmm. He gets drunk on a plane flight and then we see him at home. Presumably he could have maybe taken a taxi, but we do know that he then drove himself to Dorothy's house. And when mm-hmm. he gets there, Laurel comments on how drunk he is. So that's not very cool. In 96, maybe that was acceptable though. Okay, no. Some moms could be really mad about that. (laughs) They probably could. You might hear about it Mm -hmm. from them. But my big problem with this, every time I'd watch this film, is that he assaults her on her porch. And even if he wasn't her boss, this causes me problems. But he is her boss. And earlier in the film, he kisses her and grabs her boob without consent. And that's a little problematic given their work relationship. But on the porch, it's brightly lit. We've established that her precocious young son is wandering around the house at all time and her neighbors can see and he snaps the straps to her dress and pulls it down and then he lowers out of frame and does who knows what but my point is she is now topless on her porch her boss has just stripped her in public this 
even in 96, I think was very problematic. I just, I have a hard time watching it now, given given that. Now, I mentioned costuming. When she comes out for the, the date and we get the Audrey Hepburn line, she does not have on a bra under that dress, which is normal for that kind of dress. However, later when they get in bed and he pulls it off her, she is wearing a, a, a strapless bra because presumably Renee Zellweger did not want to do full nudity in her, in her role, which is fine for Renee. It just, to me, that part was an add-on that when that scene played, we'd seen her before and definitely the implication was she was nude from the waist up on her front porch with that bright light. I just, I really have a problem with that. I don't know how that makes sense in the film. I don't see that as being sexy from his character to her character. It just, it really bumped me badly. I thought it was interesting because you had prefaced this before we watched it. And right after that, they go inside because I think either Laurel comes to the door or Ray does. So they both go inside and he even calls it out and he says, oh my God, I feel like Clarence Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I was like, oh, so Cameron saw the inappropriateness and she's like, no, 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 no. But I thought, wow, they hung a lampshade on it. <laughs> right. I was surprised. I didn't remember the Clarence Thomas line until the last time we watched it. I missed it before. I didn't remember it. That was before he was a justice or I guess he was trying to be a, succeeded being a justice. Yeah. So I, I have to say uh, in 96, this may have played differently. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that. But certainly in 2022 there i think it's a very problematic scene and i don't see that it's necessary mm-hmm. to advance that in the film i think there's ways you could show them progressing their yeah, relationship show, else other ways absolutely you could just show some like sweet flirting and right. then there's a moment when you know like there's the tropey you know something happens they celebrate and they accidentally kiss each other like you know right there's- yeah or she she trips and he catches her and then their faces are close together and they lean in or i think to feel the narrative he does something for ray he tucks ray in that would have been much she's better. watching she's completely head over heels because he's acting like a dad and then when he comes out and they're talking she kisses him oh see that i think that would work really well that she he like t- puts ray back to bed and maybe even tells him a story or something yeah, so we see him being father and then we cut to a close-up of her and she does the teary thing. I think Zellweger could do that. Oh, like where her eyes tear up, but yeah, one you, doesn't fall. You just see her falling head over heels for him yeah. in, in that shot. No dialogue completely. You hear his VO off screen, right? Or his voice off screen. And you see her react. Oh, man, we did good work there. <laughs> So, listen up, Hollywood. No rapey scenes. Yeah, please no. Okay, head trauma. So, this movie is pretty much built around head trauma. (laughs) (laughs) So, I think this is hilarious for head trauma. Avery Bishop punches Jerry in the face twice when he breaks up with her, which is, again, maybe 20th century reaction. I think now it's not so cool when women beat the crap out of people who don't say what they want, but it was hilarious in the movie. So this is funny. In the trivia, it says Kelly Preston proudly spoke of practicing her punches. I wonder how many P words I can say. With legendary boxer Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Oh, nice. So she didn't just use her natural ability. She planned Uh, for it. She got into character. I was going to say, is that common for people when they get cast in a Tom Cruise film? Do I get (laughs) to punch him? Yeah, it would be for you. Ron Tidwell, he runs into the goalpost. Mm. which is a really funny comic moment, but I think every single NFL wide receiver would be mortified if they ever ran into the the goalpost. I don't think that's at all realistic. But Rod gets hit in the head on a crossing pattern, and then near the end of the film, he falls on his head, catching the winning touchdown. So it's just thinking about 
not Sakuba head trauma, but I suspect it was a stunt person. Yeah, I was surprised, though, because, like, how do you even begin to do that? Well, I think Kuba did a lot of his own playing, right? But I would assume for those those really nasty hits that he had a stunt person. I would hope that they didn't even put a poor stunt person through that, and they just found a cardinal who had an injury similar. <laughs> Let's not make anyone else do it or okay. whatever his number was did. It's the 1986. I think they probably did put a stunt I person know. out there. Okay. Thank you to all our stunt people. Yes. Great performance. We would not have amazing movies if it wasn't for you. And Dodge Media Productions wants to give a shout out to the stunt people That's right now. Right. I don't have a, a lot of action films queued up to go, but if I did, I would respect those stuntmen. Well, listener RJ, do you think it should be a month next year? Oh, no, I was talking about scripts that I've written. Oh, okay. All right. A smoochie. Yes, we have a couple smoochies. So we do have a smoochie between the DHH couple and the elevator uh-huh. at 3340. And the, there are some others, but then the big one is at the end of the film at 13742, Dorothy kisses Jerry after he proposes. Although that's not strictly the end of the film, but you know what I mean. But near the end. It's yeah. very close. You already spoke of Jerry's bad decision to drive while intoxicated. Intoxicated. Was yeah. there any more to a driving review? Just want to make a note that the 93 Dodge Intrepid is probably accurate as the rental car, but it's not our sexiest work. <laughs> the Intrepid. Yeah, it's a nice name. Is it named after a, a ship? Well, there have been ships named the Intrepid, so let's hope that that's the case. That's where they got it. Yeah. If anybody served on the Intrepid, please feel free to write it. Should we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay. This film, like we said, was done in 1996. The budget was $50 million. It's a lot for 96. And it made five times that at $273 million worldwide, $154 million domestically, and adjusted for inflation for my favorite superfan artist. RJ, that would be like the film making 313, almost $14 million today. I'm sorry, this is a slow burn, but you mentioned superfan RJ. Maybe we should have a month of stunt films where they're known for their stunt work. That's what I said. Yeah, I told you it was a slow burn. Took me a little while to catch up. (laughs) Okay. I'm caught up now. Okay. Let's see, the IMDb score is 7.3 out of 10, so pretty high for IMDb. Critics love this movie at 84%. Audiences were more like you, (laughs) kind of a little meh. It got a high C at 79%. That's still high. Right. It's, like I said, two hours, 20 minutes, rated R. Okay, so I was listening to a podcast today. IMDb categorizes it as a comedy, drama, romance, sport film. And the podcast this morning, they said this is not... Not a sport film. What do you say? I agree. It is no more it's a, rom-com. A, a sports film than Die Hard is a Christmas film. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I actually, on second thought, I apologize to all of our fandom. You're right. It's not a sport film. Yeah, I think it's because Rod Tidwell's character is is a, a, a football a play, player. A player, right? But we don't even really see, except for his injury, we don't really even see like a game, do we? I mean, I guess we see a tiny bit. A little bit of a, one game at the end and a little bit of a practice, but yeah. I don't think it's percentage-wise enough. All right, this is a miss for me, you guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apologize to all of our listeners. This should not have appeared in this month. However, I'm going to actually defend its presence in this month because I think a lot of lay people would say it's a sports, a sports film, film if we ask Yeah. However, so let's take a look at another film I didn't quite respond to, Rudy. Lots more football 
in practice. Much more football. So, I think Rudy is yeah. easily a sport fan. I, I would not challenge that uh, that assessment, right? All right. Well, hopefully I can redeem myself with next week's film, Men with Brooms. I believe that that is a sports film. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Two notes I want to say. Paula Abdul helped Cuba with his touchdown dance, which I thought was funny because as we saw it, you said, oh, that's Deion Sanders' dance. It looked a whole lot like Deion Sanders' Dirty Bird to me. So I was like, well, maybe Paula helped him, but she copied Deion. Yeah, although that's going to be funny (laughs) if Deion copied Rod Tidwell. Oh my gosh, that is, oh, we got to look up the The timing on that one. Yeah, all right, let me make a note. Show notes. I Lastly, I just want to end with Cuba did win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for this film. He also won the SAG Award for Best Supporting. He also won the American Comedy Award for the Funniest Supporting. Blockbuster Awards gave Tom for Favorite Actor. Cuba got Supporting and Renee got for Favorite Supporting. Cuba won in the Chicago Film Festival Association Awards for the Best Supporting. So he did a sweep. As always, if you want to give us a call and leave a message, a question, a comment, you can call us at 971-245-4148 and I will either, I can call you back, I can email you, or we can answer on on a future podcast. Also, if you want to email me, it's Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-I at dodgemediaproductions.com with any questions. We will be sitting down in the weeks to come planning for 2023. And if you have any suggestions for a theme for the month or a film, please uh, reach out to us and let us know because we will be making the plan for the whole year. But as always, you guys never forget, Dodges never stop and neither do the movies.